is In the Studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepard. We're not alone in the studio for this session, no, by the way. No, no. Of course, our, Joe Carlson's ever-present. He just never heard. We our, need to get Joe on this program. Our beloved producer, Joe Carlson, yeah. is here. I think we're supposed to interview him. Okay, on an upcoming show yes. soon. We'll, we'll make that promise. Yeah. We'll have Joe here. Uh, Lauren Kosky is here. Yes. Uh, yes. Lauren helps us with the social media aspect of this program. Yes. Very our, helpful. Our beloved social media person is yeah. here. And Ron Davis. Ron Davis is here, our yeah. our boss, our beloved yeah. boss. So we have an audience here. It's pretty it's cool. not just the two of us. In it's the usually just you and me in this hot little room. <laughs> well, this hour is, these hours are always special to me, but I, I'm looking forward to meeting your friend, David Miller. Yeah. David is a remarkable uh, brother. Uh, we uh, we lead tours I mean, he's the he's the guide, but uh, we we do tours in Israel together, and he is he is an um, American Israeli Jewish Christian. Okay, run that by yeah, me again. Yeah, he's American okay. citizen. Okay, uh-huh. but he's also an Israeli citizen. Okay, he's Jewish, uh-huh. but he's also a Christian. Uh-huh. So he's all those four things. And we're going to call him in Thailand. So. He's he's in Bangkok, and we're going to talk to him in Bangkok. Okay. Yeah, I think that's the longest call probably we've ever made. Maybe so. But Maybe he, so. you're going to see it's all worth it because he's really a remarkable guy. I don't know anyone who's really integrated all the facts of the life of Jesus better than David. So you're going to introduce me to your friend, David Miller. Yes. I'm going to introduce you to my friend, Kevin Belmonte, later <laughs> in the program today. Who you've never met. We have not actually physically met, but we we talk all the time. Okay, and I've had him on my radio show. Okay, and, and we email. And I'm really looking forward to talking to him. Yeah, he's a biographer. Yes. Uh, so that's coming up in the second half. Yeah, today. that's going to be good. All right. Any other opening words of wisdom as we get started today? Uh, you know, just just uh, hang on to your hats. <laughs> <laughs> Can we urge our friends to pass the word about this radio show? We just heard some stats about how the podcast is growing. Yeah. If you if you are a person who signed up for the podcast on iTunes or Spotify. Google Play. Google mm-hmm. Play. Um, you know, just give us a little plug there at the bottom. Every every little bit helps. Yeah, and you can reach us uh, on Facebook, and you can reach Michael on Twitter, of course. Yes. Uh, so we just love hearing from people. We love getting feedback. We love getting ideas from yeah, listeners. I was going to say that if you have an idea, a, a topic that you would like us uh, to look into, or a person that you would like to hear uh, interviewed, uh, we would love to try to make that happen, as long as we like them. <laughs> <laughs> So the first song we're going to ask you to sing for us today is called Shepherd's Watch. That's a Christmas song, isn't it? Yeah, but we're going to talk to David about Jesus is the Good Shepherd and all the the the, the, the Hebrew background uh, behind that title. When Jesus says that he's the gate and he's the door and all this sort of thing, David's going to make sense of all that for us. Well, on behalf of shepherds everywhere, <laughs> Wayne <laughs> Shepherd thanks you. And sheep everywhere. <laughs> yes, yes. Michael Card, Shepherd's Watch. And 
day we'll be wrapped in rags, asleep on the hay. As a sign to you, the one born today will be wrapped in rags, asleep on the Thank you very much. In a few minutes, we'll ask you to sing again a song from Psalm 23, My sure. Shepherd. So we'll do that after our conversation. We've made an internet connection yeah. all the way to Bangkok. Isn't technology wonderful? <laughs> well, you're going to hear the voice of David Miller, your friend who's on with us right now. Yeah, David and I, go to we go to Israel every year together. He's a guide, but he's also, uh, he has a pastor's heart. He writes books. He's just, he's one of those guys. And uh, if we have a question about the life of Jesus, David is the guy we want to talk to. David, welcome into the studio. Well, thank you. It's good to be with you. See what I mean? It sounds yeah. like he's sitting here with us, doesn't yeah, it? It's incredible. <laughs> yeah, we, David, we want to, we want you to explain to us. You know, Jesus, the Good Shepherd, is he the door? Is he the gate? Is he? I mean, all those mixed, those metaphors that sound mixed, and you, you explain that so beautifully in Israel. So we just kind of want to let you sort of let you loose and talk about Jesus as the good shepherd and and help us to be not so confused. Well, I'll do what I can. <laughs> um, yeah, he um, the imagery, of course, comes out of uh, shepherding in the land at his time and the image of his being the door and the gate, which you mentioned. Now, that would really be one and the same thing. Um, actually, in Hebrew, it would be the same word. Mm-hmm. Um, that's at night, uh, the shepherds would put the sheep into a sheep pen, which would usually be a cave with maybe a stone wall around it, and there'd be an entrance to it, and the shepherd would sleep there at the entrance so that uh, no animal can come in. Mm-hmm. And so the good shepherd quite literally lays his life down for the sheep. And uh, so that explains his use, the use of his imagery there. I know early in the early in the trip, uh, one of the first things we do is we go to it's sort of a sort of a cave with a rock wall uh, around the front of it, and uh, so we actually see exactly what Jesus is talking about. Yeah, it's exciting to be able to you know stand there and actually see it, visualize it, and understand what he's saying. Yeah, I haven't been with you on one of those trips, but it has to be very powerful to be in that place where these things would have happened, to talk about these things and to see the see it really come alive in that way. Well, it is. And also, you know, to connect that, I mean, that world was a very rich world, and that's reflected in the Scripture. So, you know, connecting the physical setting, but also um, the culture, the language, some of the references that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that are made there that perhaps uh, in our culture, in our world, and our, let's say, the level of our knowledge of scripture we we might miss and it's it's um you know to to look at all of those things together really is a life-changing event it Hmm. certainly changes the way i've read scripture and uh, those who come on the tours the way they go home and read scripture so it never really grows old for you no it doesn't and the reason is i mean i could you know probably tell you with a group all right at tuesday and 10 30 i'm probably going to be standing in this spot and saying these things (laughs) and yet every group is different and it seems like the holy spirit you know, emphasizes different things, or just in interactions together, we learn from each other. I mean, I still, someone will make a comment or ask a question, just makes me think of a thing in a new way. So even though I've been doing this for a while, um, no, it's it doesn't get old. And and um, you you think it's more complex, but for me, it ends up simplifying. It focuses the scriptures, and I think this example of uh, the shepherd being the gate and the door. Is, is a great example. You, you you would think you'd go to Israel and there'd be a lot of information. You've got to process. There is information that you process. But what it ends up happening is, is focusing and making things clearer. So, you know, when Jesus says he's the, he's the door and he's the gate, he's really, he's, he's using the same, he's sort of adapting his metaphor as he goes. He's saying the same thing two or three different ways. And for those people who try to accuse Jesus sometimes of being obscure, if you're being obscure, you don't say, you know, you don't you don't adapt things three different ways to make the same point. He's he's uh, uh, he's making things clearer and, and and reinforcing what he's saying, and that 
That that becomes clear in lots of ways. I think your teaching on the Beatitudes does the same sort of thing for, for me, David. What I used to think of as something that was very complicated is Jesus saying the same thing, you know, different ways. I mean, t- talk talk to us about the ba- about the Beatitudes. <laughs> you want me to do that in a five minute, just, ten minute? Yeah, time? yeah. If you <laughs> can do it. Our appetite. Come yeah. on. <laughs> let let me let me th- let me tie the two together, and that is that. Um, both, you know, we read it in a black and white, or perhaps depending on your Bible, maybe a red and white text. (laughs) And so it's this static thing on a page. Well, you know, it didn't take place that way. It was a spoken word in a living world, which had, which was, uh, had a context to it, both the immediate cultural context in the case of the Beatitudes, that would be the religious world in Jesus' day. In the case of the shepherd, of course, um, you know, shepherding that cultural um, aspect, uh, but it also had was deeply rooted in its past in the Old Testament scripture, and so you have references uh, or hints, which Mike, as you know, we talk about quite a bit on the tour, mm-hmm. hints back to the Old Testament that if we don't catch them, uh, we will either miss what Jesus is saying or, unfortunately, misinterpret what he's saying. Mm-hmm. And I think that both of these um, cases, these. Uh, Sermon on the Mount, as well as the um, saying about the shepherding, are, are cases in point. For example, when he says, I am the good shepherd, well, immediately I think we, we pick up on the, the reference or the hint back to Psalm 23, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. But, I, but he's also re- referring back to Ezekiel 34, mm-hmm. which is talking about the bad shepherds of Israel. And so he's saying, you know, when he says, I am the good shepherd, everybody listening to him picks up on that. This is in contrast to that. And it's being given in the context of the uh, shepherds of the people of God in his day. Mm-hmm. And then in the Mount of Beatitudes, you have something similar going on where the, his basic introduction, blessed are the poor in spirit, um, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, is taking place. And some of the Beatitudes are actually direct quotes of Old Testament scripture. And tying those pieces together then helps us to understand what he's saying. And uh, Mike, you really, I think you got it just really right when you said it doesn't make it more complex, it clarifies and makes Mm -hmm. it more simple. Yeah, he's reiterating the same point over and over again. And we make it too complicated when we try to make separate points out of the Beatitudes. I think that's that's what helped me the most about your teaching on the Beatitudes. Yeah, it's um, it was a common way of Hebraic expression where you would make a statement and then just reiterate that same statement using different words. You see it throughout the scripture, Old and New Testament. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we read the Beatitudes that way, that the statement is blessed are the poor in spirit, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And when we understand the terms kingdom of heaven and poor in spirit, we realize just the other Beatitudes are saying the same thing using different words. Mm-hmm. And someone who says the same thing six or seven different ways is not being obscure. <laughs> <laughs> no, not hardly. Yeah. Yeah. David, uh, Michael has told us about the dynamic of the groups that uh, are with you in Israel. It's a relatively small group. This isn't one of those giant tour bus groups. You no. guys have an intimate gathering. What's that like for you as a teacher? Oh, it's wonderful. I mean, teaching, uh, you know, Teaching is a dynamic that involves relationships, um, at least for me. And the richer the relationships, the more likely that the teaching will be more effective and uh, just a richer experience for all. Mm. And it is one of the things that we emphasize on the tours very much so is, hey, you know, let's, let's get to know each other. Let's um, understand it for a very short period of time, a transient period, but we are a community. Mm-hmm. And as I said, every group is different, and it creates a dynamic in which I think uh, the Holy Spirit then uh, is freer to move, and that is when, of course, teaching becomes life. And that's very rewarding for me personally. And, and let me say this about David. David doesn't just guide the tour and teach on the tour. He really pastors us, and he brings things together in a theme and and and. I guess kind of like Jesus, he's re, he reiterates yeah. themes in different sites. and um, Well, that's it, what it, I was thinking. It's a beautiful thing. Because we, we know, of course, that Jesus spoke to the multitudes, mm-hmm. but we also know that he spoke to intimate groups as well, mm-hmm. right? And I, I just have to think that that's a great dynamic to stand in these places 
and, and to and to think on these things, dwell on these mm-hmm. things scripturally. Mm-hmm. It has to be wonderful. I I have friends, uh, good friends, who have been on the trip with you guys. Mm-hmm several years ago, and they still talk about it to this day. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, we're amazed at how close people get uh, during those 10 days, aren't we, David? Yeah, um, they still communicate with each other for years, yeah. and uh, we had the opportunity a couple years ago to uh, visit a pastoral couple, couple who was on one of the tours uh, in um, in Hungary. It was, it was a great, wonderful time. Yeah. How did the two of you connect on this? Through, let's see, through the cousin of the wife of a good friend of mine. Oh, it's one of those situations. Of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a fellow that I studied with in 1982, and we've been very good friends ever since. And his cousin, I guess, is the photographer with um, Harvest Events. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we hit, we hit it off. That was, a, that was a good trip. All of a sudden, there was someone who really understood this whole biblical imagination thing, and uh, I learned something about the imagination, uh, you know, every time I do a, a trip with David. Well, I wanted to ask David about that. How do you resonate with Michael's message of biblical imagination? Well, very much so. Um, I use different terms. I express it in different ways, but it is saying the same thing. Well, Michael, when we made this internet connection with David, we did not explain why he's in Thailand. Shall mm-hmm. we ask him about that? Sure. All right. So we're asking you, David, why are you in Bangkok, Thailand, of all places? <laughs> well, that's a good question. Our lives have been kind of an interesting being flung here and there by the Lord, and uh, it, it works for us. But this also is through a guiding connection in Israel. Um, a lot of my work has been with the Anglican Church, and the Anglican Church in Southeast Asia is um, it's, it's very alive and growing, and I've uh, formed good contacts as they've brought groups over the years. And Last May, they invited me to speak at the uh, convention of the Thai, Anglican Thai churches here in Thailand, and I came, and we were talking about the need to train leaders, and my contact here just said, well, would you be willing to come for a year or more and uh, do biblical training? We don't have any programs. We, we need something. Would you be willing to come and do it? And I knew it was of the Lord, and so without reservation said yes. It's always great to hear how God calls. Mm-hmm. And then supplies. I'm sure your needs are being met. Michael, you've been to Thailand. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is. I've never been there, but I hear reports all the time yeah, of what God is doing among the Thai. I mean, it's. Uh, it seems to be a pretty amazing place. It, it's a wonderful place. David's in Bangkok. We usually go to a place called Chiang Mai, mm-hmm. and there's a, a lot of Christian ministry there. And uh, yeah, wonderful place to go. Mm-hmm. When da- and David began, well, did you be you be did you begin in Africa? Is that where you started your mission work? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, because w- we immigrated to Israel, so that's not, I mean, I wouldn't, that's not mission work per se, but mm-hmm. yes, we were in Kenya for um, seven years and southern Sudan for three years. Um, here this year, we actually are, we're based in Bangkok, but we are more outside of the country than in. Oh. Uh, we'll be teaching in Nepal and uh, Vietnam. Wow. Actually, both of those are coming up very soon. Wow. In Singapore, and then with the Karen people in Myanmar. Mm. Fabulous. Well, I want to turn us back to where we started, and that is thinking of the Lord as the Good Shepherd, because, Mike, we're going to ask you to sing uh, what is, in essence, Psalm 23. Mm -hmm. Here in a moment, your song, My Shepherd. I remember this when you did this in the studio uh, live for us. We're going to hear that in just a moment, but reflect on this song for us, if you would. Well, um, gee. Uh, Let's let David reflect on Psalm 23. Hey, David, talk about Psalm 23. All right. That's a good way to deflect, Michael. (laughs) No, I'm not. uh, Mike, I'm not buying. He asked you. Dude, you you know more about Psalm 23 than I do. Go, David, Psalm 23. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you sing it better than I do. Yeah. Well, I'll sing it here in a minute. (laughs) Okay. A quick word about it. Um, actually, an anecdote. Um, we were in Israel, and it is it it is hot as blazes in Israel in the summer, and there are no clouds ever, and the and the desert is you know nothing grows in it just outside of Jerusalem. And my wife and I went to visit some friends in Cornwall, England, in mm. July, and we were with our friends in Cornwall. I mean, it is so green there and so lush, and we saw these fat sheep sitting on hills. And I just turned to our host and I said, man, anyone in this country who reads, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing, would think that, you know, the Christian life is going to be a fat, fat sheep on a green, green hill. Mm-hmm. Well, wouldn't you know, the next morning at their home in the mail arrived a Christian magazine 
with a fat, fat sheep on a green, green hill. And the, you know, the quote, the Lord is my shepherd. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But, no, it comes out of an impossible environment. And that's, you know, to come out of that environment, and say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall lock nothing, is an astounding statement. Yeah, when you make your way through the country, you'll see these flocks of, of sheep and goat, and it's, and it's just desert. You think, what, what in the world are they eating? And they're sort of scrounging all the time. So the idea of, uh, of a green pasture and being, being able to lie down takes on a completely different meaning uh, when you see you know, the, the desert part mm-hmm. of Israel. Mm-hmm. Well, David, thank you for us uh, recording this. It is morning in the U.S., and it's late evening for you in Thailand. So thank you for spending these few moments with us. Well, my pleasure. I um, appreciate the invitation. It's always, Mike, it's always nice to talk with you. Thanks, David. We'll, we'll see you uh, hopefully uh, before next year. Thank you, brother. I right. thank you. Well, let's turn to Psalm 23 in Michael's song, My Shepherd. John Ketchings joins you, Michael, on this. For those who don't know, all of the music here is live performance in yep. the studio. Yep. It was recorded uh, previously when we were on radio with this program. Yeah. And we, we used to do the show in a recording studio, so mm-hmm. we had all the piano and yeah. all the stuff there. We're just in a plain old talk studio now. Yeah. So. Hey, I'm looking forward to meeting David sometime. Yeah. 
I need to go to Israel with you. I need what I need, need to do. You yeah. and Joe both need to go. And we could do a bunch yeah. of radio shows hard. Oh, wouldn't that wouldn't be that, fun? Oh, man. Don't make any promises, yeah, but yeah. I, I would love to do that. Yeah. Hey, uh, the book that came out, uh, Inexpressible, Hesed and the Mystery of God's Loving Kindness, I have some feedback okay. from listeners. You want to hear this? If it's good, I'd like to hear <laughs> okay. it. Uh, Rachel says, love this book. Already gave my copy out to a friend, uh-huh. and, but I'd love to sign copy to keep in my personal bookshelf. I'll do so, that. All right. Uh, Holly says, I just finished listening to the audio book yeah. and we'll be getting the book. It's a relationship with God changer. Ah, uh, she says, well, you know, that was interesting to sit and read it at one setting. I, I kind of understand what your world is like. Well, now. I don't do it all that often anymore, yeah. but uh, I don't like to do long sessions when yeah. I do an audio book. I'd prefer to do a chapter at a time, but you, really? you, you sat right there in your home and did it. Yeah. Yeah. With the whole thing. <laughs> okay. One more comment from Dave who says inexpressible has really helped me. I spoke on Hesed today. You introduced me to Hesed way back on in the studio some 15 years ago. Hmm. It resonated with me then and helped fire me up once more. Thank you, Michael. Wow. That's so encouraging. If we can get everybody talking about it and, 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 and but mostly doing it, mm-hmm. you know, developing that instinct to do uh, acts of kindness, yeah. that'd be a good thing. And I hope everyone knows, too, that there's a companion CD yes, that goes that with just the book, To the Kindness of God. Mm-hmm. Which is available. You can go to michaelcard.com and learn about this. Yeah, and it's on it's on iTunes now. It's okay. all, all right. on all the f- okay. platforms. All right. Well, coming up, we're going to meet Kevin Belmonte yes. on this program today. Kevin is a biographer. I think you're going to enjoy meeting Kevin. Yeah, he he lives in Maine, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I I've, from what I've heard about Kevin, I'm really anxious to talk to him. All right, and we'll do that after a brief pause in this session. If you'd like to react to what's been presented so far, send a comment on Facebook or Twitter or email us at inthestudio at michaelcard.com. Again, the email address is inthestudio at michaelcard.com. When you visit us online at michaelcard.com, you can learn more about Michael's books, his music, and his conference schedule. See if you'll be in your area. More music and conversation when we return here in the studio with Michael Card. Stay with us. get to hear a classic session next week in the studio with Michael Card. This session from the Mole End Studio features a conversation with Michael on the topic of slavery in the Bible. Lee Benson talks about his work in the creative process, and singer Sarah Groves discusses her response to the issue of human trafficking. We've packed a lot into this edition, so watch for the post and share the podcast link. Subscribe when you search for Michael Card in iTunes or Google Play. Coming up now, we're going to talk about biography in a moment, and you've got a scripture in mind there in front of you. I do, uh, Psalm 139, and we're also going to hear a song uh, based on this passage. And it's interesting when you talk about uh, the art of biography, in Psalm uh, 139, David is just amazed at how well God knows him. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that interesting connection there. Mm -hmm. You know when I sit down, you know when I get up, you know my thoughts, you know everything about me. And what I like is in verse 6, he says, this knowledge is is beyond me. Beyond me. Yeah. Yeah. It's too mm. lofty. I can't attain it. Mm. And then he says, and where can I go to escape from your spirit? I can't go anyplace. You're always there. Well, just before we hear from our guest, let's listen as you sing, Search Me. Where can I hide 
Behold, up in heaven, you're there beside me In the depths of the darkness, you're by my side And if I rise on the wings of the morning Or settle on the far side of the sea Even there, your hand will guide me For your right hand is Mike, I'd like to introduce you to a friend of mine whom I have never met. Interesting. Yeah, we've we've never met in person, but I've read his books and I've had him on my radio show. Oh, okay, now I get it. Kevin Belmonte is with us. Kevin is a well, he's an author. He's he's a biographer. I love biography. I know you too. You do as well. Yes, I want I want to talk to him about David McCulloch and pick his brains oh, on some yeah, other issues. Oh, the two issues. of you are going to get along just yes. fine. Kevin Belmonte, <laughs> welcome in the studio with Michael Card. Good to be with you. Thanks now, for joining us. You live in a special place. Tell us about where you live. It is a special place. It's York, Maine. It's a town on the southern coast of Maine. And my mom's family, the Young family, we uh, have deep roots here. We go back to 1630 here in ah, York. So you're from there? I was born here, yes. Ah, very interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know anybody from Maine. You're the first person from Maine I think I've ever met. You didn't even <laughs> wander away from New England to go to college, did you? Well, not too much. No, we went down to the North Shore of Massachusetts to Gordon College. Oh, well, that's where my mentor, uh, William Lane, was at Gordon. Yes. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Matter of fact, of- I should say that, uh, Mike, you and I met briefly. Uh, you and John Catching stopped by for a concert. I was in my last year at Gordon. Wow. And you had time to say hello, and I was very grateful for the kindness. Wow. Wow. Kevin is, uh, well, I won't list all the books that you've done, Kevin, but the, the ones that have meant the most to me, of course, you wrote the biography in William Wilberforce, but the first book I've read of yours and that, was... And that became a movie. Yes, yes. right? Kevin, you, you worked on the movie? Yes, for six years, yes. Wow. That and then you wrote a book on D.L. Moody. That was the first one that I read that you had written, and D.L. Moody, A Life, and I love that book. And you've written other biographies. Um, can we talk about biography here with, with Kevin? Would that be all right? Absolutely. All the right. art of biography? Yeah. Well, when, when I think of biography, I, I think of Luke. Um, uh, although, strictly speaking, the Gospels aren't biographies, they are, William Lane would, would say they are a passion narrative with a long introduction. Yes. Yeah, so it's not a really good biography when a third to a half of the book is on the last week of your life. I mean, what would you say about that, Kevin? Does that does that disqualify them as biographies? Maybe in a technical sense, but mm-hmm. if we were thinking of it more in an artistic sense, uh, sometimes movies will do that. They'll uh, they'll help focus in mm-hmm. on a, an important moment in time, an interval mm-hmm. that's so revealing of an entire life. And so I guess from that standpoint, thinking about the Passion Week, uh, that, that focused window of time. You know, biographers make choices all the time, just as a painter chooses how large a canvas will be, what colors from the palette to apply, mm-hmm. and how they work in combination to convey a picture. So um, I think it's a bit of both, if you had to pin me down. Well, now, as you've worked on uh, biographies of people like Moody, and uh, have you spoken to eyewitnesses the way Luke did? <laughs> mm. Did you talk to well, anybody who knew Moody? <laughs> Well, actually, I've gotten pretty close. Ah. Uh, Dave Powell is, uh, let's see, he'll be 89 years young this March 31st. He is D.L. Moody's great-grandson. Wow. And he's a wonderful man. He's a, a graduate of Yale, as so many of Moody's descendants were. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I have a picture of Dave's mother as a baby sitting on D.L. Moody's lap. Wow. <laughs> wow. So what about William Borden? Is that, is that too too far back in history, too? Or did you talk to anybody who who was connected to him? Yes, well, no. Uh, too too uh, I have talked to members of A.J. Gordon's family. I've mm-hmm. uh, gotten to know his great-granddaughter, Ruth, quite a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
she's a marvelous lady, and uh, so she's told me some of the family stories mm-hmm. uh, and, and filled in some of the gaps from a family perspective. But in terms of the William Borden biography, which is the newest, actually has yet to be published, mm-hmm. uh, I was invited to take up the task by a member of the extended family, uh, Gail Borden. We met when I was over in Oxford and Cambridge in 2011 to do a keynote on Amazing Grace and my work on Wilberforce, and uh, she remembered that and got in touch with me uh, about two years ago and asked me if I wouldn't mind undertaking the task. Wow. Tell Mike who William Borden is. Uh, well, he comes down to us in history with a, a wonderful uh, description, which is actually the title of a biography, Borden of Yale. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was uh, born to a, a very wealthy family based in Chicago. They were cultured, but they were also deeply devout. Mm. And he attended Yale and Princeton Seminary, had a a deep and abiding love for the Lord, was very involved with both Moody Bible Institute and the Moody Church, which is actually where he was ordained. Wow. But he had a deep love for the Muslim peoples of China and was preparing to go out and serve as a missionary. He was undertaking the study of Arabic in Cairo, Egypt, to be followed shortly thereafter by a course in medical training, he wanted to serve as a medical missionary, mm-hmm. and then he was going to learn Chinese into the bargain. Wow. And uh, he was going to use his wealth to entirely fund the missionary enterprise there in China. Mm. And uh, tragically, sadly, he contracted uh, cerebral spinal meningitis shortly after he got into Egypt, mm-hmm. and uh, within three weeks he was gone. Oh. Now, what, what would the date... What would what would the, the the date be? Right of his death. That would have been April ninth, nineteen thirteen. Wow. Hmm. And he was only about what twenty five years old when he died. Yeah, that's right, Wayne. He was only twenty five. Hmm. And uh, his example. I mean, we think of people like Eric Little in Chariots of Fire, mm-hmm. or Jim Elliott, one of the Ecuador missionaries who was martyred, or Amy Carmichael. His story is very much of a piece with those kinds of stories. Well, it reminds me of the the assignment that I wanted to give you. Uh, a person whose life I've become just uh, fascinated with is uh, Maltby Babcock, who is the writer of the lyric of This Is My Father's World. He was a pastor, and he died tragically as well. He, he went to Israel. He toured Israel in 1902 on horseback. <laughs> yes. And can't, wrote letters back. We have those letters in the Princeton University Library. They're downloadable. But on his way home, he stopped in the island of Cyprus and, um, and uh, was a victim of suicide. Ooh. So yes. he died tragically. But I think he was like the Billy Graham of his day. It sounds like you're already familiar with his life. He, he, that would be a great biography. Oh, well, you're preaching to the choir here. <laughs> if I was a biographer and I lived up in Maine. And, and <laughs> I thought it was a bit presumptuous for Michael, who only met you just now, to give you an oh, assignment, no. Kevin. Well, I, I, want, I want someone to do my homework for me because I really want to know more about this fascinating person. Yeah. All right. What do you think, oh, that, Kevin? That's too funny. Uh, well, I should tell you, um, I actually write about Malpe Babcock uh, quite a little bit in the William Borden biography. Ah, what was the connection? Well, there are a couple ways. Uh, he was a frequent speaker at the prep school that Borden attended, the Hill School in Pottstown, Pennsylvania. Wow. Uh, but uh, when Borden was traveling overseas for the last time to go to Egypt, where he tragically passed away, one of the books that he had aboard ship that he writes to his mother, that he tells her he was reading the book, was called Footsteps in a Parish, mm. which is a wonderful memoir of Malpe Babcock. Wow. So, you know, the the points of connection uh, and the overlap between these two very similar types of Christians, uh, they're not just tenuous connections, they're actually real and vital connections. Wow. This is like Stump the Biographer here today. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it sounds like you've already started, you've got some groundwork laid there for a, a, a fresh biography of Malpe Babcock. <laughs> well, I've been thinking about it for a while. I mean, the, a good biographer, I think, is always on the hunt uh, for for the next subject, and uh, Far be it from me not to take a hint from a new friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, uh, the, the way I found him, I was in, in Ireland actually touring with my daughter, and I, was, I sang This Is My Father's World, and my daughter said, Dad, did you write that? And of course, the great temptation was to say <laughs> yeah. yes, because I'm a huge liar anyway. But I, I didn't know who did. So I went back to the hotel, got on my laptop, 
and started reading about this. Um, he was an amazing person. And I got to the paragraph where it said that he had committed suicide, and I just started weeping. Mm. You know, the, yeah. just the, how does that happen to this man who was this wonderful preacher and pastor, and he was a pastor in a college town and would give kids money from his own pocket to help them buy books and that sort of thing. Just a, an amazing person. Kevin, I think when you write the book, I know who should write the foreword. Oh, I'm, I'm all over that. <laughs> well, I was going to say, if, if you're going to give me the homework assignment, I'm going to return the favor and ask for a foreword. Oh, I would do, I would do that in a heartbeat. Huh. Hey, Kevin, someone Mike and I talk about often is David McCullough. I know he means a lot to you as well. Yes. We, we have a running joke here at the house. Uh, Kelly and I laugh. I say when I want to... When I grow up, I want to be David McCullough. Yes, yeah, I want to sound like that's David McCullough. Good, that's a good goal. I love David McCullough. <laughs> yes. Well, and of course, you know uh, that, or may have heard that uh, he was a painter and, and still paints. And that uh, that skill, that bit of artistry carries over into his writing. Yes. There's a wonderful documentary that describes him as a painter with mm. words. Mm. And, and I love that description because, as we were saying earlier, with the metaphor of a painter, you know, the application of color, the choice of canvas, all that sort of thing. Yes. Uh, to give a vivid sense of place. And he's a great one for visiting the places where his biographical subjects have lived and where they did important things. All that shines through. And he has a gift for immersing you almost instantly uh, in the subject. This As soon as you start to turn the pages, really... Uh, and I think one of his best, certainly one of my favorites, is his book about the Wright brothers. Mm-hmm. It's a marvelous book. Well, I fell in love with David McCulloch, and a piece that was uh, uh, on TV that he did uh, about um, uh, N.C. Wyeth, and who, yeah. was, who was this great American painter. But it, it wasn't a piece about what a great painter he was. It was a piece about what a great father he was. Mm. And yeah. I, I was just immediately sort of caught up in, in David McCulloch's work. So that point on, anything he wrote. And he sort of rescues people from history, history in a way, I think. Mm. He certainly did with John Adams. Yeah. And that's what oh, Kevin did with Borden, true? I feel. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The Borden story is a story lost to a lot of people, uh-huh. and, and Kevin is bringing that back to us. So, uh, do you feel like that's part of the role of the biographer too, Kevin? I think so. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it's really a matter of stewardship. I one of the phrases I jotted down before we got on the phone was to say that biography is a conduit of heritage, mm. and in that sense, I really think biographers are stewards. Uh, they're the kind of people that. Uh, see uh, a worthwhile subject that may have slipped from uh, our awareness in terms of a living cultural memory, but they shape the world that we live in. And so when we, we look at the lives of these men and women or movements that have been important, uh, our sense of the past enriches the present and it guides the future. Mm-hmm. So biography in that sense is uh, it's a form of literature, but I also think of it as as a discipline and stewardship as well. Mm. How do you go about the research, Kevin? Mm. Well, a lot of times it's uh, it's not unlike the the little inside joke we've had here, where Michael's suggesting we do something with Malpe Babcock. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you get a referral from a friend. Mm. You can, and relationships are, are often so important when it comes to the biographer's task. Uh, I think back to Wilberforce. The first time I heard of him, I was 19 years old, mm. and I went to hear Francis Schaeffer speak. Wow. And someone was handing out a, a very short live newsletter called the New England Correspondent, and the feature article was on William Wilberforce, mm. and I picked it up, and I read it, and I thought, my goodness, I have no idea who this person is. And it planted a seed that lay fallow for some years until I got to graduate school at Gordon-Conwell Seminary, and I did a research paper that my professor liked so well, he encouraged me to write a master's thesis, and that led to a friendship with Chuck Colson and a biography not very long afterward. Interesting. You know, and you and I have talked about this before, Kevin, but it's going to be increasingly harder for biographers because of the lack of written correspondence. I know in the case of McCullough, for instance, with writing about John Adams, the correspondence between Abigail and oh, John gosh. Adams was volumes, just volumes of yeah. it. And I know that you've worked with a lot of correspondence in the past. We just don't have that existent anymore, do we? It's a danger. 
I mean, emails are wonderful. They, you know, they're a gift of common grace that allow us to, to bridge miles and communicate instantaneously all over the world. Those are all to the good. But they seem to be sort of an ephemeral uh, way of, of communicating. We, how do we save them? Hmm. I mean, some people are disciplined, and they save them in the backup files. Um, but you're right. You have a correspondence, handwritten letters, mm-hmm. uh, these kinds of things that you can hold in your hand and uh, see the heft of the paper, see mm-hmm. the kind of ink that was used. Uh, you know, I, I do worry a little bit that we've uh, we've lost that. People don't seem to keep diaries in quite the same way yeah. that the Adams family did, and. I learned so much from John Quincy Adams' diary. Mm. I have a perfect example right here, Kevin. Yeah. Mike's Bible is in front of us, and you showed this to me earlier. In Mm. your Bible, you're carrying a letter around with you. Who wrote this letter? It's a handwritten letter. It's a letter from uh, Eberhard Betke, who was uh, Bonhoeffer's biographer, who wrote wrote the big green uh, biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. We had a Bonhoeffer Society at Western where I went to school, and I got to pick him up at the airport. I'm 19 years old. I pick him up at the airport. He and Renata, who who is Bonhoeffer's niece, who he married. Yes. Bonhoeffer wrote the wedding ceremony for a prison cell for for those two. So I got to spend a whole week. And he writes me a letter, and and I'll, it's it's one of my treasured possessions. I carry it in my Bible. Wow. And people don't do that anymore. I, he, no. Now you would write an e, a text or an email. Hey, mm-hmm. thanks. Had a great day. Mm-hmm. Bye. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Moving. Very moving. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, those keepsakes, I, I have a book, uh, one of my wonderful cousins, uh, Joseph William Pepperell Frost, very wow. New England name. Wow. Uh, he was one of America's great antiquarians ah. and had all kinds of treasures. And it's the same sort of thing. He was a quartermaster in London during World War II, and during those years, you could purchase... Uh, autographed, signed letters from famous people mm-hmm. for next to nothing. Wow. And so one day he wow. asked me to take a book down from his shelf, and it was sort of a survey of uh, British and American literature from, say, oh, 1700 up to the present. And he said, "Flip, just start flipping through. And so the first one I went to was Robert Browning, and there, tucked inside, was a letter from Robert Browning. Oh, no. (laughs) And the next one I came to was Charles Dickens, and there was a letter from Charles Dickens. (laughs) And I mean, you know, I'm just like you. I was like a kid at a candy store. Uh, And he said, Kevin, they were giving these things away. And you see the handwriting, like you said, and you feel the paper, and you see how the Mm. ink is faded and that Mm. sort of thing, huh? Oh, absolutely. I I had a Wilberforce letter for a long time. And, uh, you know, he had the wax seal oh. with his family crest. And, you know, his handwriting is very difficult to decipher, but uh-huh. it's his handwriting. Wow. And, you know, just to have something like that, uh, you're absolutely right. It, we lose something, I think, when, we, when we're too far away from that. Yeah. Hasn't this been fun? Yes. Kevin Belmonte. You're going to have to come back. You're going to have to come back when you write the book. We're going to have Mike when we, is commissioned. We're, we're going to talk about, yeah, Dav, the Davenport. Uh, when that's done, we'll do this again. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Kevin, God bless you. Thanks for your time today. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. I'm looking forward to some more conversations in the future. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. I'd like nothing better. God bless you. Yes, and you as well. Take my life and let it be Consecrated, Lord, to Thee Take my moments and my days Let them flow in ceaseless praise Let them flow in ceaseless praise Take my hands and Take my lips and let
Take my heart, it is thine own, it shall be thy royal throne, it shall be thy royal throne. Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down, you know when I stand up, you understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You're aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You've encircled me. You've placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It's lofty. I'm unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me, your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The light shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike Mm -hmm. to you. So as we think of a person's story, their biography, Mm. it starts with the fact that we are known by God. Yes. Every little detail of our lives, he sees and knows. In fact, you can't get away from his knowing you. It is too wondrous, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, a great reminder to wrap up this hour. Our hope is that it would inspire you to trust the Good Shepherd to direct your very life. Please take a moment and let us know your questions or comments about what we've discussed. You can reach us several ways. Send your email to inthestudio at michaelcard.com or find us on Twitter or Facebook when you search for Michael Card. And your podcast reviews are very important to us as well. Find out how to order a copy of the book Inexpressible and the companion CD project to the kindness of God when you stop by michaelcard.com. Again, michaelcard.com. And we hope you'll tell a friend about what you've discovered in the studio. They can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Michael Card in iTunes or Google Play. Next week, join us as we open the archives and present a classic edition of the broadcast. Now for all of us on the team, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening to In the Studio with Michael Card.